Good morning. As has been mentioned already, we're very grateful for the visitors that we have. Uh, wishing them safe travels as they're, they're going to be heading back home later. It's always good to be able to, to get to know more of our brothers and sisters uh, outside of, of, of those of us who normally gather here together. And that's, that's actually kind of what we're going to be talking about today, is getting to know each other better. Um, if you want, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. I uh, have a few introductory remarks, but we're, we're going to spend... But we're going to spend pretty much all of our time this morning in Acts chapter 2. Um, but just by, by way of introduction, you know, there are, there, there are different kinds of sermons that can be preached for, for different occasions. There are sermons that you might label as admonition or, or even chastisement at times. Uh, that those sermons address a problem within a group. Uh, they're, they're more exploratory sermons where you may just dig into a specific passage and, and, and look at the truths that are found within a specific passage. There are sermons that, that can serve as warnings. If, if there are false, false doctrines or various idolatries that, that are, are trying to creep into the church, you might have a sermon that's a warning against something like that. Uh, and then there are also encouragements and, and exhortations. Um, and, and those are sermons that, that Aren't, the message of those sermons is not to just keep doing what you're doing, but, but it's more like, here, here's a good thing that you are doing. Keep working at that. Do that thing even better. Um, and and I mean, there are other types of sermons I'm sure you can think of that don't fall into these four categories. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the fourth type of, of sermon, an encouragement and an exhortation to take something that in the short time that Mary Catherine and I have been here, I, I feel safe in saying this, this group does well, but to take that thing and do it better. In, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, Paul, Paul writes for the Thessalonians to excel still more at their walk with God. And it's that, that type of a message that I'm wanting to bring today. So uh, we, Mary Catherine and I have lived in Jessup for just over four months now. When we moved here, we, we didn't know y'all. Uh, we kind of knew Clay and Sandra just, just a little bit. Um, we actually didn't know Jonathan and Jacqueline, but we, they're new here as well. So, but we, we didn't know this group. We didn't know really any of y'all here. Um, and over the course of the first two weeks that we lived here, I think we lived in three different sets of members' houses. We were having trouble with, our, uh, with the rental house that, that we were trying to get into, and three different groups of people here opened up their houses to us and let us stay there at, at various points just in the first couple of weeks that we that we lived here in Jessup. So we, we have been we've been welcomed here. We feel like we're, we're part of this group and, and we're very grateful for that. It's a blessing to be able to worship here with, with each of you every Sunday and, and every Wednesday. Um, we, we enjoy spending time with y'all both before and, and after services, um, talking with each other, encouraging each other, it goes without saying we, we enjoy worshiping with y'all during the service, as we're doing right now, singing, singing songs of praise to God and studying his word. We've enjoyed spending time with y'all outside of services. Uh, there, there was the, the lunch at Clay and Sandra's during the gospel meeting back at the beginning of November. We had the, the get-together that Paul, Denise, and Patsy put together just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we, we have been impressed with the kindness, the hospitality, and, and the brotherly, brotherly love that has been shown by this group in just the four months that, we, that we've been here. 
And so, like I mentioned, this lesson is an encouragement today. It's an encouragement to continue in those things and to improve in them as well. And just because there's room for improvement doesn't mean that you're not doing something well. You can be do, doing something very well and still have opportunities to improve in that thing. So, I hope you're, you're in Acts chapter 2. If not, go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at three main ideas from this passage, uh, or from this chapter. We're going to look at the relationships among the peoples and the crowds at Pentecost before, before Peter's sermon. So the relationship between those in the crowd before Peter's sermon. We're going to look at the message that was preached by Peter and, and by the other apostles on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to look at how the relationships among the people in the crowds changed after the sermon. So let, let's dive into Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'd like to first read verses 5, <coughs> five through 13. This is after the Holy Spirit has come and, and filled the apostles. Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying that they are full of sweet wine. So what's, what, what's the setting for our story here today? You all know I, I'm big on I'm trying to make sure we're understanding the setting and what's happening. The setting, the, the time, it's the day of Pentecost. This is 50 days after the Passover. Um, you know, the, the, and this specific Passover, of course, being when Christ was crucified and then rose, rose from the dead on the third day. So we're 50 days past that. Christ, Christ has, has gone up back, back to be with the Father. Um, but he told, he told his apostles and his disciples to wait in Jerusalem because he was going to send a helper to them. And here at the beginning of this chapter, or actually the verses we didn't read, we see that that helper comes and it's the Holy Spirit. And he falls on the apostles and gives them the ability to do this, to speak in these tongues so that everyone here can understand the message of the gospel. And as a part of this day of Pentecost, the, there, there still would have been thousands of Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem. And we see that. We, we read a list several verses long of all of the different areas where these Jews would have been from. And so you know, we, we, there were people from Rome, there were people from Egypt, from Cyrene, from uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. I don't even know where some of those places are. But they're, they're from all over the Middle Eastern world. So, I think it's safe to assume these people were different from each other. Yes, they, they, they were all Jews, and, and so they, they had that in common, which <coughs> up until this point was the most important thing to have in common. Um, but but these, these people are different. Just looking at it strictly from, from an earthly standpoint, these people would, would have had some, some pretty stark differences. We know they speak different languages, so there's a communication barrier there. We know that they speak different languages. They came from different backgrounds. There was a lot that they, that they would not have necessarily had in common. But there was one very important thing that they all did have in common. 
And this leads to our second main idea, because Peter explores this, this thing that they have in common in his sermon. So I'd like to read now, beginning in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. This is P Peter speaking to the crowds here. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead. And spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who received the word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So that was a little bit of a, of a lengthy passage, but we're, we're going to dive into it now and, and dissect it a little bit and see what Peter is, is really getting at here. So in... in in the first three verses there, in verses 22 through the first part of 24, he establishes who Jesus is. He was Jesus the Nazarene. He's from Nazareth here on this earth. But he, he had been attested to them by God with, these, with all these different miracles and signs. This was the Messiah. The, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Nazarene, was the Messiah. The, the, promise, the, the, the promised Son of God who came to redeem Israel. He wasn't someone who was just claiming to be the Messiah, because there have been people like that in just the last several hundred years leading up to this time. He wasn't someone who was just claiming to be the Messiah. He was the Messiah. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. So, so Peter establishes that in the first several verses. And then at the end of verse 24, he hits them with the fact that they had killed him. They had killed the Messiah. They had killed the Christ. They, they were the ones who handed him over, who, who were crying out to crucify him. And, and again, remember, there are Jews from all over the world in this crowd. 
Peter doesn't differentiate between all, all the different groups. He just says, you handed him over to be crucified. It doesn't matter where, in this crowd, it doesn't matter where they're from, it doesn't matter what their background is, each and every one of them had a role in handing over the Son of God to be crucified by lawless men. This is what they have in common. This is what this group of people has in common, is that they had all been a part of handing the Christ over to be murdered. But, but thank God the story doesn't end there. And I'm sure they, I know they, they thank God on that day, and we should today as well. Peter goes back to Psalm 16, and a different version has probably had it like, uh, kind of put in your text a different way. But in verses 25 through 28, um, that is a quotation from Psalm 16. So Peter goes back to Psalm 16 to show that David prophesied of a risen Messiah. Um, and he, it's a really great argument that he makes here because the psalm is written in, in the first person from David's pers perspective. Um, but he talks about, you know, you won't abandon my soul to Hades, you won't allow your Holy One to undergo decay. It's talking about this resurrection, and Peter makes the point, you know, David's bones are like right over here. We know David's dead. His bones are still here today. David did not rise, so who's he talking about? And he, he, said, he makes point, he's talking about Christ. He's, you know, Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who you murdered. David was prophesying here that he was going to rise from the dead. And in fact, he did rise from the dead, and there are many here who witnessed the risen Savior. <clears throat> but, but Peter doesn't just stop there with, with the simple fact, not simple fact, but with the fact that Christ rose from the dead. He doesn't just stop there. Because, you know, it's... It, it almost would be enough to know that the Messiah is risen. That, that's a glorious thing. But Peter needs to make, this, needs to make this, this point personal for those who are listening in this sermon. They need to know, that they need to have a, a very, very acute understanding of the dire straits that they are in. Because he makes, he makes the point there at the beginning. He said, yes, you, you killed the Lord. Into verse 24. You, you put him on the cross. And then here, 25 through 28. Yes, the Lord... The Lord is risen. He is risen from the dead. David prophesied this. And there are people here who have seen the risen Lord. So you killed him, but he rose from the dead. But then we get to his quotation from Psalm 2, beginning in verse 34. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So you killed him, but he rose from the dead. And oh, by the way, he is reigning at the right hand of God. And God has promised him that he is going to put all of his enemies under his feet. So in the context of Acts chapter 2, in the context of the sermon that Peter is preaching to, to these, these thousands and thousands of Jews here in Jerusalem, who are Christ's enemies? In the context of this chapter, who are Christ's enemies? Christ's enemies are all these people who killed him. That, that, that's what Peter is driving at here when he quotes from Psalm chapter 2. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Well, he just, Peter just got finished telling all the Jews here that they killed the Christ. So, kill someone, you're, you're their enemy. So, these Jews here are now thinking, you know, okay, we not only did we kill him, but he rose from the dead, and... 
it's been prophesied that all that he's reigning and that all of his enemies are going to put under his feet. So you can you can kind of understand their cry in Acts chapter two and verse thirty-seven. Men and brethren, what shall we do? The God, the, the risen Lord and Savior, we are at odds with him. We are enemies of his. What can we do? <clears throat> Because they recognize in that moment, they recognize the, the one thing that they all had in common. They were enemies of Christ. That was, that was what drew them together here in this moment in verse 37. And that is the kind of thing that makes any other difference, any other distinction between people appear really, really small. When, when, when they recognize that each and every one of them stood condemned before God, stood as enemies of Christ, that uh, they probably weren't thinking about the fact that they couldn't understand the guy who was standing to their right. Because even though they couldn't understand him speaking to each other, they both had an understanding. They both understood that they were, that they were at odds with God, that they were enemies of Christ. But the beautiful, the beautiful plan of God is about to give these people here in Acts chapter 2 something else in common that's even greater than their shared guilt and their shared fear. So in response to their desperate cry for help there in verse 37, Peter tells them to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. The same God whose son they had just murdered, that same God is desperate for them to, to be forgiven of their sins and to enter into, into a covenant with him through the blood of that son that they murdered. How, think about that for, for, for a moment. How, how insane is that? What kind of love is that? that? That they had just murdered God's only son, but God is telling them, you know, the blood of my son that you spilt, that blood is, is going to reconcile you to me. That blood is going to make it to where you are no longer an enemy of me and my son. God, God's, the, depth, the depth of God's love is just unsearchable. And we're told that 3,000 people responded to that love on that single day. That 3,000 people recognized that they were, were enemies with God, and they recognized that they, that they did not want to stay in that state, and that they needed to, to be reconciled to God. So God, in his love and his mercy, gave those people something in common that was even greater than their sins. Their sin brought them together, in a sense. They, they all shared in that. They all shared in, in the condemnation. But God, God then gave them mercy and grace, and they could share in that, and that was even greater than those sins. So what does their, what does their relationship with each other look like after this happens, after God reconciles them to himself? Oh, uh, let, let's, let's finish reading the chapter here, beginning in verse 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
So think for a moment about what it would have been like in the days following Pentecost. I, I, I really, as I was writing the sermon and thinking about this, I really just got to thinking about, you know, I, I wish that I could have been there. I wish I could have been there in, in the days and the weeks after, after the day of Pentecost and been a part of, uh, of this really unique community that would have been there. Um, I'm about to jump ahead of myself. But I, 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 I wish that I could have experienced that. And there's a sense that I still can. But, you know, the, these, these people, they, they don't seem to be doing much outside of the important things, you know? Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure they're, they're still working to some extent, but these people, they don't seem to be doing much of anything outside of listening to the apostles, eating with each other, and helping each other. They are desperately trying to grow closer to God, and they're trying to grow, and, and they're growing closer to each other along the way. Because this is people—people people who have been saved. This is how they act toward one another. We know that because these people have been saved, and that's how they're acting toward one another. You know, they—they they had been gifted a common blessing that far outweighed their common guilt, and and this this is the response. Verse 42, who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And th this common blessing of salvation is completely flipped their priorities upside down. They're, they're committed to serving God, and they're committed to serving each other. They're not, they're not committed to serving themselves. They're, they're committed to serving God and serving each other. We're told, verse 42, they're devoting themselves to, to God's word. We read about them having each other into having each other over into each other's homes, sharing meals with each other. Um, I mean, still at this time, we know there are people who there are Christians in Jerusalem who live far, far away from Jerusalem, but they're here because they're there for Pentecost. So I'm sure these Christians are are letting these are, are sharing their homes with these with these travelers, <coughs> just as, as some of y'all did with Mary Catherine and myself. They, they are sharing meals with each other. They're making sure that every need is taken care of. And they're taking what, what seem to be extreme measures to, to take care of these needs. They're selling their property. They're selling their possessions. Because, you know, having stuff, owning property, that doesn't matter to these Christians. Because what matters is the relationship that they have with God and that they have with each other because of what God had done for every single one of them. They care, about, they care about each other so much that they can't stand the thought of having stuff, of, of, of owning property, when the money that could be collected from selling that stuff or that property could help one of their brothers or their sisters who's in need. This is the, the, the radical love that these people have for each other and the radical love that, that we are called to as well. Because this is what happens, this is what it looks like when a group of people recognize that they have all been gifted the blessing of salvation from God. When a group of people recognizes that they stood condemned before God because of their sins, because of their responsibility in putting his son on that cross, but then they recognize that because of the death and the blood of that son, they can be saved from that condemnation. This is part of what the, of the response to that looks like. So what does this mean to me? What does this mean for, for, for everyone here in this room? 
We've talked about how the Christians here at Pentecost responded to their shared salvation. But how is this applicable to me? Well, they, they were enemies of Christ, right? That, that, was, that was, at the beginning of this chapter, that was the one thing that they all had in common, even if they, they may not have realized it at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, in Romans 5, I said we're mainly going to stay in Acts 2, but I do want to look at Romans 5 here as we're applying some of what we talked about today. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, there Paul writes, for, for, if while, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So, and th there you have it, right? We also have been enemies of Christ. And, and we, we see from Psalm chapter 2, Peter bringing it up here in Acts chapter 2, what happens to the enemies of Christ? They, they are made a footstool for his feet. So that's us. And that way we are, some, we, we are in the exact same situation as the, the crowds here in Acts chapter 2. We, we have also been enemies of Christ. <clears throat> and, and again, that the fact that we have that in common, that everyone here in this room has at one point had that in common, that, that we were at one point enemies of Christ, that should outweigh any earthly difference that, that we may have or may have had at some point. You know, that, that's greater than any mean word that any of us may have ever said to, to someone else here in this room. That, that commonality, that shared guilt, is greater than any inconsiderate action that any of us may have ever taken against each other. That shared guilt is greater than any sin any of us may have committed against one another. Because when we, when we sin against one another, we are ultimately sinning against God and sinning against Christ. So we, we have all been enemies of Christ, simply just waiting to be put under his feet. That should make everything else appear really, really small. But look back at Romans chapter 5. And this time we're going to read the context of verse 10, starting in verse 6. Romans 5 and verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, but perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. But God showed his love for us. He, he reconciled us, and therefore we, we are saved from our guilt. We are saved from the punishment that was due us because of our sin and our rebellion against him. Pray, praise be to God for that. And just like on Pentecost, uh, so, so, so just like, like on Pentecost, God in his love has given us something that, that's even greater than our guilt. So we've already established that our guilt, talking about the people here in this room right now, our guilt should, should outweigh anything that we may have ever done to each other. But God has given us something even greater than that. He has given us reconciliation, salvation, and, and Romans 5 verse 11, a reason to rejoice, a reason to exult. 
So we can go from fear and trembling and crying out, men and brethren, what shall we do? We can go from that to rejoicing in the God who has reconciled us to himself. So really, we, we are no different than those on Pentecost, right? We have the same guilt, and we have experienced the same salvation. So what should our response be? Well, I mean, if we're, if we're tracking along with the people in Acts chapter 2 so far, what was their response? What, what was their response in Acts chapter 2? You, you remember what, what we've been talking about? They, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to focus on that first. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And uh, Clay basically started preaching my sermon this morning in class uh, when we got to this point. Um, that's, what, that, that's what they were focused on there in verse 42. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to the word of God. Because it was that God who had saved them. It was that God who had given them that shared grace, that shared mercy that brought them together. So we're talking about our response now. Am I doing that? Am I continually devoting myself to, to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God? Am I, am, am I doing that? Are you doing that? That's a question we all, we all must answer for ourselves. And, but today, you know, here in Acts chapter 2, the emphasis seems to be in this passage, the emphasis seems to be on this collective group of people who were saved. They, as a collective, were doing this together. These people are studying God's word together. They are, they are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching together. They're, they're discussing these spiritual matters together. So am I doing that? We're, we're f focusing on, the, on the, the together part of that. Am I doing that? Or are, are you doing that? Because, and, and studying God's word together, like they're doing here, this goes beyond just doing it in the assembly. Uh, very confident based on this passage people in Jerusalem were not just devoting themselves to the apostles teaching on Sundays when they gathered to partake of the Lord's Supper this is happening outside of their assemblies as well but I do want to focus for just a moment on the assembly on, on, on studying God's word together devoting ourselves to God's word as a group when we gather together during the week so am, am, I, am I doing that? Are, are you doing that? We currently have two opportunities each week here at Walnut Street to study God's Word together. Uh, we're meeting on Sundays at 9 a.m., finishing up uh, a class that Mark has been leading in 2 Thessalonians. Well, we're in 2 Thessalonians now. We've been in other books. Wednesdays, we're going through, uh, Clay is taking us through 2 Corinthians at 6.30. And these opportunities are, are blessings that allow us to grow closer to God and allow us to grow closer to our brethren. They help us sharpen each other, as I believe happened this morning. And if you haven't, if you haven't been taking advantage of these opportunities, then I want to strongly suggest that you ask yourself why that's the case. Because each of us, every single person in this room, needs, needs to think about the debt that has been paid for us. And we need to, and that there are people here in Jessup, Georgia, who have also had that debt paid. All of us. Every, everyone in this room has had that debt paid. And, and, and these people meet together every Sunday and every Wednesday. And, and we, should, we should be encouraging each other when we do that. So if, if this specifically, talking about studying God's word collectively on, when we gather together, if this is an opportunity for improvement for you, I'm not asking that you explain yourself to me or that you explain yourself to anyone else. 
um, just think about it. If, if there are things that we could be doing to, to help facilitate that, that study of God's word for everyone, let, let someone know about that. If, if there's something we need to do differently, then within the confines of scripture, we, we, we want to be able to study God's word together, and we don't want anything to, to hinder us from doing that. So let, let's talk about these things. Let's devote ourselves to these things. <clears throat> they, they were breaking bread in each other's homes here in, in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> and and, and break, breaking bread sometimes refers to the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. But it also talks about in verse 46, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So some of this may be talking about the Lord's Supper, but it's also, there's also part of it that's talking about just sharing meals with, with each other. And we talked about that some in class today as well. Um, we, we, and that's something, that's something that we need to make sure we're being intentional about because it can almost be, it shouldn't, but it, it, can, it can become habit to just show up at church at the, the times that are, that are decided upon. There, there's a sense that you don't have to be intentional about that all the time. You have to be intentional about having somebody into your home. That doesn't just happen by habit or by accident. That's something to be intentional about. And, and from my, I'm, I'm, I'm 24, so from my limited experience, you, you really get to know people much better at the dinner table than almost any other place in society. Meals have been an opportunity for, for growth and relationships for pretty much all of human history. And so even though we in 21st century Western America may, may think differently, that's still the case. We still get to know each other the best over meals. And so it, it's, great to be, it, it's great and it's necessary to be spending time you know, after services talking with each other, and we need to be doing that. We need to be taking those opportunities to understand what's going on with each other and to encourage each other but but more and deeper growth than that will happen when we're in each other's homes when we're in each other's lives throughout the week not just on Sundays and Wednesday nights and finally the last thing I want to look at here in Acts chapter 2 is they took care of each other so they were devoting themselves to the teaching they were they were in each other's homes and they're taking care of each other and I would submit to you that they're they're able to do this they're able to take care of each other because they're doing the first two things so what does it look like when they're taking care of each other? Well, they're selling property to help with any needs. They're selling their possessions to help with the needs of the group. And things like this, you know, things like this, like we mentioned, they can only happen if we're close enough with each other that we can share our burdens with each other and we can know what's going on with each other. I'm not going to walk up to someone in Walmart and start telling them about the problems that I'm dealing with. Because I don't know that person. So I'm, I'm not going to go and share personal things that I'm struggling with with somebody I pass on the aisle in Walmart. But I should be able to share those things with my brothers and sisters. Especially my brothers and sisters of the local church that, that I worship with. Because we should be close enough to, the, to um, we should be close enough to be able to share those things. And when those things are shared um, verbally, like when I tell you about those things, those burdens should then be shared you know, metaphorically, I guess, if you will. We, we should be helping each other with, with whatever we're struggling with. That, the, those, these are some of the things that we see happening here in Acts chapter 2. 
Um, as I mentioned before, Mary Catherine and I have, have already been impressed just in the four months we've been here with how this group cares for one another. But we all still have opportunities to improve in these areas. Remember, improvement doesn't mean you're doing something poorly, but there are always opportunities to improve. And, and like, it's been, like it's been mentioned a little bit recently, um, that there are going to be more opportunities to improve on these things coming up in this new year. And just as a bit of practical announcements, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll just mention them right now. So starting in the new year, uh, we're going to be having new Bible classes, like, like Clay mentioned earlier. Jonathan's going to be taking over for Mark on Sunday mornings. We're going to be looking at the first century church and how they operated, how their worship services operated, things like that. I'm going to be taking over for Clay on Wednesday nights. Um, and we're, I think we're going to finish 2 Corinthians, but then we're going to transition to something else after that. But all that to say, the, 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 new, chief, the new teachers, that, that doesn't matter. What I'm trying to get across here is there are going to be <coughs> opportunities for fresh starts here in this new year. There are going to be classes, new classes that are starting right on January 2nd. It's the first Sunday, and Jonathan's going to be teaching them. So if you haven't been able to come for whatever reason to the classes, uh, maybe you're concerned about jumping back in the middle of something and just being completely lost, that's not going to be the case starting this new year. So, so take advantage of that. I, I would urge you to take advantage of those opportunities and some of these new classes. Um, I, I believe that there's also going to be a singing class that, that's going to be taking place once a month, I think was the last thing we talked about. And there are still some final like logistical details that need to be ironed out about that, but it's going to happen. It's something that our, our brother Billy brought up, and Jonathan, and jo for those of you who don't know, Jonathan teaches music over in Hinesville. And Jonathan, Jonathan volunteered to lead that effort. So there's going to be an opportunity for, for a singing class, uh, which, will, which will help us as, as we're always, always trying to improve our worship to God in song. It's also another opportunity for us to be with each other, to be spending time with each other. Um, and then also, I, I, this hasn't been mentioned, I don't think this has been mentioned really in a group yet. I may have talked to a couple of you about it. But um, I think probably starting in February, due to some logistical things, um, Mary Catherine and I are, are wanting to, to invite whoever wants to come over to our house once a month for a prayer study. Um, there's still some final things going into that. Um, more details will come later. Um, but that's going to be uh, another opportunity for us to be spending time with each other, studying God's word with each other, always coming back to devoting ourselves to God's word. Um, but also to spend time with each other and help sharpen each other as, as we're all trying to grow closer to God and grow closer to each other. So uh, I mentioned all those things just to let you know there are, there are opportunities for us to be improving uh, in, within this new year. There are going to be more opportunities for us to be spending time with each other and it's something that I believe scripture teaches we need to make sure we're being intentional about. We need to be sacrificing other things, if need be, to spend time with our brothers and sisters. Because our brothers and sisters should be the people that we're closest with here in this world. We, we should be closer with our brothers and sisters than we are with our family, if our family are not Christians. Um, because we, we, we've talked today about things that we have in common with each other. We have that shared guilt. Now we have that shared salvation. And that shared salvation 
that outlays any blood connection that we may have, that, out, that, uh, that overpowers any work connection we may have, any football connection we may have. We should be closest with our brothers and sisters in Christ here at this local church. And, and it's through, through all the different things we've talked about uh, this morning, that's how we grow closer with each other. Because when we grow closer with each other, we're going to be helping each other grow closer to God and glorify Him more in each of our lives. And that is the goal. That is the goal. So I'll, I'll offer the invitation now this morning. If, if, you haven't, if you haven't been set free from that guilt of sin, if, if, you, if you do not yet share in the common blessing of, of the salvation that we have in God, then, man, you, you need to. You, you need to... You need to submit to him and, and be free of that fear and, and of the guilt by, by submitting to him. And we would love to have yet another brother or sister uh, in this assembly with us who, who we can share in those blessings with. If you need to make anything right this morning, if, if you need the help of the congregation, we ask that you would, would let us know after services if you like, or you can come forward. As, as Mike is leading us now in the invitation song, we stand this song.